Hello, everybody, and welcome back to New Books in East Asian Studies. I'm Ed Pulford, one of the hosts of the channel, coming to you today, as before, from Sapporo in Japan. Today, we'll be talking to Ross King, Professorial Fellow in the Faculty of Architecture, Building and Planning at the University of Melbourne, about his new book, Seoul, Memory, Reinvention and the Korean Wave, published in 2018 by University of Hawaii Press. Now, listeners who have visited Seoul, and if you haven't, you definitely should, because it's an absolutely amazing place, or indeed any other East Asian megalopolis which has had comparable experiences of destruction, renewal, and explosive growth in recent years, may wonder how a single book could possibly hope to approach such a vast and confounding entity as Seoul. As Professor King himself points out, cities like Seoul are experienced as disaggregated places, always already fragmented, bits, moments, feelings, memories. And while a flippant answer to the question of how you might go about writing a book about Seoul is that you might do it by printing your book on very large pages. Professor King's book is a satisfyingly chunky volume, which consequently is a real pleasure to get stuck into. But its material dimensions aside, this is a book which manages to read Seoul with a real deftness and elegance, interpreting the multiplicity of faces which the city presents to any visitor, be they tourist or scholar. To achieve this, King draws not only on observations from architecture and urban form, his own areas of expertise, but also on historiography, literature, film, religion, television, and popular culture. Bringing all of these into dialogue, he builds up a complex picture of the myriad influences and symbolisms which are at play in Seoul's urban surroundings, and shows how they are layered, juxtaposed, and entangled. Reading Seoul, we thus come to apprehend the city in its Korean, its Asian, and its global contexts, appreciating it as an artifact of numerous overlapping and contending histories, and of successive developmental modernist projects, most recently, of course, those linked to the Korean wave, which appear in the ti- appears in the title. The book is also richly illustrated with maps and diagrams drawn by the author himself and by numerous photographs showing everything from scattered Japanese colonial remnant buildings to perspectives on the city's wider boxlands or boxscape, terms which King colourfully manipulates to describe Seoul's architectural vernacular. But uh, in any case, speaking of vernaculars, let us both impinge on this uh, American-based podcast with our own vernacular Englishes. As I say, Ross King, welcome to the show. Thank you indeed. Now, Ross, I was just wondering if you could begin the interview by telling us a bit about yourself, uh, your background, where you started, uh, where you've been and what you've done academically up to this point. Well, um, I was born a long time ago, I won't specify. Um, I went to the University of Sydney and did architecture. Um, after that, I, um, I went to University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia, uh, studied under some very eminent people, Louis Kahn and people of that sort. Um, then I, I built buildings in Sydney for a while, uh, got a bit tired of that and started to teach history of architecture at the University of Sydney. Um, Sydney University was a good place to work. I enjoyed it much, um, but I got a bit, a bit sort of, um, uncomfortable at Sydney and decided that Melbourne would be a nice place. I got a position at the University of Melbourne um, and then I did a lot of consulting from there. Um, and then, well, I just had a fit for a while, a fairly conventional academic um, um, trajectory. But then um, 
one unfortunate day, I was made dean of the faculty, and and um, uh, well, it was even mo- even more unfortunate for the faculty than for me. But but the, the problem the problem was that it it vastly disrupted my academic. Um, career because I became an administrator. But it had one immense advantage in that part of my task was to, in a way, introduce the university to Southeast Asia. I emphasize Southeast, but also East Asia. And so I found myself on aeroplanes probably 10 times a year um, to travel to um, various parts of Southeast Asia and East Asia. And um, when I then um, retired as dean, I said, well, what am I going to do now? Well, I'm going to write the world's greatest book about cities because I've seen so many of them. And of course, this, this was, a, was um, an utterly stupid um, uh, goal, and, and several publishers informed me of this, of exactly this, you know, that I was, well, not a very that's not a very bright way to approach um, um, you know, this so I just I discovered that I could not write a book about the cities of Asia until I'd written a book about one city. In other words, you've got to actually understand what what it is you're talking about before you can start to sort of spread your wings. I picked on Kuala Lumpur and I wrote a book on Kuala Lumpur. Um, Later, I wrote a book on um, on Bangkok. Um, I, I do a lot of work in Thailand, and so um, my book I've written now two books on Bangkok, and I have another one in the pipeline. But I, I would have to say that um, you know that I would claim some expertise on on the city of Bangkok. But in my East Asian travels, I was always slightly mystified. I could somehow get something of a handle on Beijing. Shanghai, of course, um, no one can get a handle on. It it defies all understanding. Um, I found other cities that I liked. I liked Shenyang in the north of of China, up in in Manchuria, and I, I wrote a bit on that. But Seoul was impossible. Um, you know, in the book, I describe my first impression of Seoul, which is from out the out the window of an aeroplane um, at night, landing at the old Gimpo Airport, and looking out and seeing a forest, an absolute forest of red crosses um, in the sky, you know, illuminated neon red crosses. I thought, what on earth is this? Now, I now I'd heard of of um, um, you know, you know the, the Christian uh, proselytizers of, um, of of Korea, and how this is the, the probably the most religiously I'll, I'll always use the word besotted country on the planet. And I thought, but this is impossible, absolutely impossible. When then, when I um, next morning in the city, I said, "Well, wait a moment. I saw an absolutely enormous city, and it's not here now. Where is it?" You know, this is this is a, this is quite a small city, surrounded by mountains. You know, but that's not what I saw out the window of the aeroplane. And of course, then I was taken by my various colleagues around the city, and I suddenly discovered that no, it's not one city; it's many, many cities, each one seemingly in a valley of its own, 
surrounded by mountains, totally disorienting, each of these strange places having its own downtown, um, all different, yet in another sense all the same, uh, because uh, everywhere it was boxes. It was, um, it was sort of these enormous um, high-rise housing estates, and you'd, say, you'd look and, and there might be 30 buildings identical, high-rise housing, housing blocks identical, and there have got a number on them, one, two, three, four, you know, 57, 58, 59. And you, and you say, well, but is this how you, how you orient yourself in this place? This is impossible. This is the, weird, this is the weirdest place. So um, you know, I thought, well, I wrote a paper on it, and the paper was, was roundly criticised because, because I'd used the word erasure. Um, I'd said somehow soul had been erased and what we were seeing is an entirely new sort of city, unlike any other city on the planet. This is the most modern city on the planet. There's nothing old. Um, it, so, you know, what, what is it? What is this place? So I, um, um, I use the word erasure, but... Probably I should have used something like interrupted um, or um, a city with gaps because the problem is that it is one of the world's oldest cities. You know, the oldest university there traces its, its, its history back to the year 992. Now, you, know, you have to say, well, Oxford and Cambridge eat your hearts out because because you know you are nothing compared with the antiquity of 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 um, you know the oldest of the Seoul universities, so it is immensely old. They were using metal movable type to produce books two hundred years before Gutenberg, so this is far more advanced than Europe. But then suddenly there's a problem. There's nothing old. It's all new. You know, so so um, well. I exaggerate a little bit, of course, because there's some very nice colonial buildings, and this brought about. Uh, well, this, in a way, was my undoing in the early stages of writing the book, because um, you see, um, Korea had been erased. I will use that that um, provocative word. It had been erased. And and Seoul as a city had been erased, but you know where was the culture? The, the, the culture had not been erased. There was something deep underneath there, and so I was um, I, I was trying to sort of um, um, get this get, see what was in between the antiquity and the modernity. You know, what is what is in the gap? And, and so that became the, what I was really trying to do in the book. Um, but as I said, it, it was my undoing because um, I was then criticised for, um, well, for the way I treated the colonial period. The difficulty is that um, I, I was, well, I was criticised for being too pro-Japanese. I was, all, I was also criticised equally heavily for being too anti-Japanese. 
So you know, I was caught in the bitter battles of Korean historiography. And, and I had to negotiate these. You, you know, to understand the city, you have to understand the arguments, the disagreements that beset its historiography. Sure, sure. Well, perhaps perhaps we might move on to that in a second because that's such a key strand running throughout the book. But just I might just uh, return you to the idea of erasure and and uh, the fact that, uh, as you say, um, Seoul uh, is a an incredibly uh, ancient and long established place. But uh, I too felt that, and I think many visitors will have done um, that. It's quite hard to read. Um, but I just wonder, um, as compared to your previous experiences in other. Uh, Asian cities, uh, as you said, Kuala Lumpur, Bangkok, um, and uh, you, vis- you say you visited uh, Beijing, Shanghai, um, and we can think of other places such as, as Tokyo or, or uh, cities really throughout uh, East Asia, which have endured similar sorts of cycles of destruction, um, and yet we know are extremely old places. I just wonder, how did Seoul strike you as distinct from the previous sort of urban experiences you'd had? Um, and what sort of a new approach was demanded by the particularities uh, of Seoul as they presented themselves to you? Well, Seoul, um, unlike those other cities, uh, well, perhaps, well, perhaps we should leave out Tokyo because Tokyo was pretty badly destroyed. But, um, but you know, those other cities, they had continuity. Uh, and this did not have continuity. Um, you know, the, the, um, I think that what, what was really distinctive about Seoul is that there were three levels of destruction. First of all, the old culture of the old, uh, of the old Chosun dynasty had been, um, well, I use the word erased by colonialism starting really way back in about, 19, about 1895 and then formally colonised in 1910. And so from 1910 to 1945, there was no Korea. Korea did not exist. It was a province, a colony of Japan. So you know, for, uh, for nearly two, two generations, there was no Korea except, of course, in the memories and in the imaginations of the Koreans. It still existed. I mean, you know, just to cut to the chase, to understand any city, you have to understand how it is remembered and how it is imagined. So Korea existed only in the imagination and in the memory for that that period from 1910 to 1945. Now, in 1945, it, it was um, in a pretty bad way, but it had not been physically destroyed. Um, it was a small city, a very small city, but it, it had not been physically obliterated. Um, it got itself a, a, a nice little dictatorship under Sigmund Rhee, um, and, and then it got itself a, a civil war. And in the Korean War from 1950-53, in that it was physically destroyed. It, you know, there was nothing, almost nothing left. There were just a few remnant bits of the Japanese city that were left. Everything else was gone. And, and it, it was a hovel. It, um, in 1953, Seoul was the world's poorest city. And, uh, and on all the statistics, 
South Korea was the world's poorest country. North Korea, by contrast, was quite well off. No, no really great disasters in North Korea, but South Korea absolutely obliterated. Then it got itself another nice dictatorship uh, with Park Chung-hee. Now, in a way, Park, Park was the man who built Seoul. Korea, modern Korea, is Park's invention. You know, Park, without any shadow of a doubt, was, uh, was a, a political genius who you know, achieved something that nobody could possibly imagine could be achieved. Um, and again, you know, just to cut in there, um, I, of course, got into trouble for the way I treated Park because, you know, because he was both a genius and a monster. And, and you know, if you emphasise one side, you're somehow forgetting the other. So you've got, to, you've got to achieve this balance. But the important thing about Park is that he built, um, you know, he built Seoul, no question. He, he rebuilt the country um, in this extraordinary ach- achievement, this extraordinary demonstration of true genius. But he destroyed the, the, the spirit of the Koreans because in a way – um, the Japanese could be resisted. You know, they were they were aliens. They weren't Korean, and you know, and therefore we're going to we're going to keep our culture, and we're just not going to bow. So, um, in, in one way, the the colonization um, strengthened the idea of a Korean identity, but Park destroyed that identity because this was Koreans suppressing Koreans. Um, and um, and that led to a bitterness which I think persists still. Interesting, interesting. Yeah. So the, I mean, these are these are pretty, uh, as you mentioned, um, contentious and uh, complicated uh, historical waters to navigate. Um, and so um, it, the book itself uh, is structured uh, in a in a particularly sort of compelling way. I felt and and the way that uh, this this history, this deeper history that you've um, just. Uh, alluded to is woven throughout the uh, throughout the chapters um, is is particularly interesting and so um, I'm just wondering uh, if you could say something now about how you sort of decided to structure the book uh, in relation to the history and and the memory uh, that as you say is so key to understanding uh, the contemporary city what was it that sort of um, what decisions did you make in terms of uh, how to approach that that historical component vis-a-vis the present experience of the place? Well, in one sense, it was rather easy because um, you have a nice dividing point in 1945. Uh, And um, therefore, um, there are two big um, historical chapters and one of them ends at 45 and the other begins at 45. Uh, Now, that's... You know, that might seem a rather artificial um, barrier or division, but nevertheless, um, it's very neat because um, up, up till 1945, the battle is between well, what one might call colonial modernity and indigenous or Korean modernity. You know, this is the, modern, this is the age of, of modernization, of modernity. 
and you've got contested modernities between the Japanese colonial modernity and an indigenous modernity, a Korean modernity, which which was being suppressed. So that was the theme there. Then, um, in a way, the um, um, the next chapter, which deals with post nineteen forty five, well, that is really structured mostly around Park, um, Park Chung Hee, and then the, the succeeding presidents, and. That is really, in a way, the um, the fight for um, for freedom, um, the suppression of freedom initially, and then the fight for freedom, um, and um, that um, you know, in a way, that chapter has a, a sort of a happy ending because um, you know, we end uh, with, um, um, with with the um, the revolutions in the in the nineteen um, eighties. The you know, marked, I suppose, by the 1988 Olympic Games, which was a moment of triumph as the country came out, um, out into the, into the wider world, and then um, the park had gone, um, and then you start to get the um, the elected presidents, and it, it's a happy ending. Um, but then that that sort of um, you know, if there is a if there is a problem in the book. It is connecting those two chapters to what follows. Right, right. And, and this is sort of what I wanted to kind of drill down on, just because it's, a, I think, a particularly interesting uh, kind of question in many different disciplines is how to relate uh, what we think of as history. And, you know, when we're writing our uh, PhD dissertations, we're thinking about having a history chapter and then then chapters which are Perhaps not history, as though as though there's history and then there is anthropology, or there's history and then there is sociology. Um, in, in the way that we we or we, we treat um, uh, sort of writing academically, um, and so when you're approaching a city where you have certain uh, visible triggers, if you like, or, or kind of things that um, elicit. Uh, specific historical memories and you make this uh, this very useful distinction between uh, memory and and history and how uh, you you cite uh, you cite a french uh, i believe um uh, scholar uh, talking about how um history attaches to events and memory attaches to to places um and i just wonder um how you decided how much history to to narrate and to relate that is not immediately visible because you say so much history of Seoul is not immediately present there in the urban landscape. There are certain things that you can draw out from buildings and and from uh, say uh, street plans and so on about the history of the city. But what 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 kind of um, uh, criteria did you use about how much history from a sort of bird's eye view perspective to include? In those uh, sort of mostly historically inflected chapters. Well, very simply, the book is about Seoul. It's about a city. Uh, it is not. A, it is not the history of Korea. Um, and I have to keep, uh, well, taming myself. You're know, cutting down my ambitions, and um, and you're bringing myself back down to earth uh, to say, no, no, I'm actually writing about the city. Therefore. Um, in a way, the, um, the first historical chapter um, makes a lot of the, of the Japanese remnants because they, they give a great deal of character to the, to the ancient part of the city. Um, I, um, 
Um, and then, of course, in the, the second historical chapter, that really simply has to explain how the city came about in purely physical terms. You know, in other words, who built it? How did they do it? What did they make? Uh, how, who built the subway? How did they get all that in? But then the um, um, after I had those two chapters, which are essentially background, you know, they are not what the book was about. The next two chapters are what the book was about. And, and of, those, of those next two chapters, the first of those is um, really, um, well, what a, a cook's tour of the city. Um, it's, 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 a, it's a wander through the city. Um, I, I, um, whenever I visit a city, um, I'm looking at the streets. I'm looking at street life. I'm looking at the ordinary buildings on the streets. And so that, that chapter um, really is about, um, well, it, it's structured around the subway. Um, and it's, it's structured around um, di- various districts. It goes from district to district. It, it goes- so, yeah, well, let's, let's perhaps get into that. Uh, uh, that's, so that's chapter four is, is uh, where, we, where we're really concerned with uh, reading soul, which, as you say, is the, uh, the sort of uh, larger exercise of the, of the book as a whole. Um, and and uh, as I say, lots of those um, historical insights and, and the material that, that is there in chapters two and three about the, uh, the Japanese era and the Pak Chung-hee era, respectively, um, are, really, uh, are really built on uh, in, a, in a particularly uh, compelling way, I think. Um, and so, yeah, you, you, you say, as you, well, as you mentioned, it's, it is a sort of tour district by district. Um, there's also this fascinating trajectory you follow uh, along subway line one um, through a sort of slice, if you like, through um, the city. Uh, so perhaps, yeah, you could, you could elaborate a little more on, uh, on the contents of, of chapter four there and, and the process of reading uh, the city, as you mentioned. The interesting thing about the city, or any interesting thing about the city, is, as I mentioned earlier in this, in this interview, um, it's not one place. It's many, many places. And, they're, and they're, it, they occupy small valleys um, between mountains, each with a centre, and each has its own character. Um, you know, for, for example, um, I don't want to go into, into great detail, but there's that lovely place, Hongdai, which is which is um, um, a student district. Um, it has lots and lots of, of bars and nightclubs for students. It's it's really a very safe place. It's nice. Uh, the buildings are all crazy. It is absolutely. Um, um, I mean, there's much crazy architecture in, in Seoul. There's no question about that. But but this is wonderful. It's just a zoo of of mad architectural. Um, horrors, and it's 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 wonderful. It's colourful, wonderful, and um, and you know, I don't know of any other city that has something quite as weird as that. Um, you know, I, I and you know, I love I love Itaewon, which um, with, with all its food, all its, its vast multiplicity of every food imagined from every part of the world, and I can keep going about all, all these all these districts. I just, I just wonder this, this idea of this, uh, yeah, this zoo, or, or uh, as you put it, I, I spent a period living in Hongdae, so I'm, I'm familiar with uh, some of the buildings you're discussing. But I, I just wonder, from an architectural perspective, obviously this is your, your, your sort of disciplinary area of expertise. What, what is it that is particularly uh, absurd 
uh, to you uh, with the eyes of a, you know, a planner and an architect uh, that, that seems so that seem as, as you say so uh, unusual about about these constructions is it is it in the architectural design is it in the actual structure itself is it the, just the surface appearance what is it that exactly that uh, that, you, that you find so uh, so so mad about it if you like well regarding Hongdai um, it is on the surfaces Um it's still box land. You know, when I when I accused um, um, Seoul of being a land of boxes, um, I, I'm really praising it. I'm saying I love it. You know, I, I think it's, I think it's great. It's just wonderful. But, but what marks Hyundai is that they then paint those boxes or they stick things on them. Um, it, it's um, you know, it is wildly colourful. Um, the street life there is is marvelous, but then, no, no, I shouldn't say that because the street life in so many of the districts of of of, of um, Seoul is wonderful. It is a city, um, it is a city where the living rooms are the streets, because people live in apartments. In the in the main, they live in apartments stuck up in the air, and therefore they come down and um, and you know the street is the only place which is not a box. And um, so the streets become the living rooms of of each district, and um, Hongdai has uh, these these strange buildings, um, all painted in funny colours or funny architectural excrescences on them. And it, it's um, I suppose that I'm, I'm trying to think of, of anything else that I know that uh, that somehow resembles it, but. I, I don't think anything does resemble it. Um, no, that chapter four was um, that is that is really the chapter that writes about the city itself. And, and these these buildings, these 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 unique uh, forms and architectural forms. Um, who is it that's 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 behind the, these these appearances? I mean, you you do uh, bring out quite a bit of the. Uh, the the, the um, history of, of who's designed these things and, and who is responsible for some of the more monumental and, and, and impressive buildings in Seoul. Um, what, what is your impression of the of the designers who have actually come up with uh, this sort of uh, this boxscape, as you as you put it? Well, in a place like Hyundai, um, it's usually just the proprietors of the buildings. In other words, I have a bar. I have to make my bar distinctive from every other bar on this particular street. Therefore, I'm going to make it so distinctive that you, you, you'll, you'll, your eyes will pop out. Um, so I put decoration on it. I make it sculptural, and I do those sorts of things. Um, now, you know, if, if you go into the back streets of the, of the city, and the city is a strange city of, of front streets and back streets, and when you go into the back streets, which is where all the life is, then um, it is again just a decorated architect, a decorated streetscape. It's a streetscape of signs. There are signs everywhere: signs, placards, there are billboards, um, ad- ad- advertising, everything. It's, it's just just signs absolutely everywhere, and you know, you wonder, you know, sort of. How does, where does all this come from? Well, it just comes from ordinary shopkeepers trying to make their shop more distinctive from the next shop. Now, when, when you get to Hongdai, though, it's a bit different because here, yes, I want my bar to be different, but I'm going to get a very, very good graphic graphic designer 
um, probably um, a student from the Hongik University, which is the university in, in Hongdai, um, and is, is the University of Fine Arts. I'll get I'll get some I'll get some artists to paint the building, and will they enjoy it? And they do paint it. And it's, it's great. These are these are highly you know, highly decorative and very very and sometimes very very beautiful. Now another another district altogether is uh, in Sedong. Now in Sedong is near the the palace, the great palace, and it, it's also an art street. But this is absolutely different again. Again, you want your building to be distinctive, but now you're not going to get some uh, some snotty little student to paint it. You're going to get um, a really crash hot architect, and so uh, Insinong um, is um, is a wonderful street, um, very touristy. Um, you know, I usually tell my tell my my students don't bother going there because it's, because it's you know um, because in a way you you'll see all the same architecture on Fifth Avenue or those sorts of places, but it is architects architecture um, but it is nevertheless exactly in the same genre as the little back streets of the poorest district it is just, just the competitions between small establishments in the, in the case of Incidonville it is establishments um, selling art, selling artworks souvenirs, usually somewhat, somewhat trashy um, and to the tourists I, I should Mm. And and in terms of in terms of where the the, the aesthetic comes from the the influence uh, the the kind of um, where where are these architects and these designers drawing their their artistic sensibilities from when putting up these uh, it, these colourful and interesting exteriors of signs and, and and different different sculptures and stuff as you say what what what's your sort of uh, impression of of the history and the deeper kind of layering that's going on in the actual architectural forms themselves. I think there are a few things happening. Um, and I think it's it's quite it might be insightful to send the mind back to the destruction of the Korean War when it was um, um, a city of it was a shanty town. You know, it was um, a slum. Um, Seoul Seoul was you know may, may have been the world's greatest slum at that time. I, I wasn't there but I but I suspect and from what I've read and from what I've seen and so on. Um, and it was boxes, little boxes, um, because that's, that's all that they could build. Materials were scarce. You could only go up to about two or three stories, and everything was boxes. And therefore, if you wanted to distinguish yourself in any way, you'd simply paint your box a different colour. Um, and if you were selling something, you, you just cover it with signs for what you're selling. So I think, in a way, it... It um, followed the um, the destruction of the Korean War. There, there's there's no there's no I, I found no evidence of this sort of land of of, of um, placards and billboards and advertising and neon lights from the colonial period. Um, I think the Japanese were very orderly. Um, I mean, far more orderly than they are now, but it, they, they were very orderly in the way that they had their their, their uh, colonial centres um, managed. I think the other the other area where where this comes from is just straight out art schools. Um, 
In other words, where once upon a time the boxes were, would have had just your know, advertising um, foodstuffs and, and clothes and and um, you know, global brands, um, what what later happened was that um, these these buildings became wonderful um, places where you could you could um, um, practice your skills as a graphic designer um, and. Um, one of the things that I find, I still find somewhat incomprehensible in Seoul um, is the proliferation of art districts. You know, the, just, just the amount of, the amount of uh, numbers of people who, are, who want to paint, who are painting, who are doing sculpture, um, who are writing music. Um, this, is, this is quite, quite remarkable. I think this is that... Um, that vein of antiquity which was not expunged by either the Japanese or Park Chung-hee. Um, you know, they, somehow or other, there has to have been a great creativity in the past for it to be manifesting now, generations later. These things don't just happen. You know, they're they're deep in the in the um, in the memories and in the psyche of the, of the of the culture itself, and I think also that uh, I mean that reaches its its ultimate manifestation um, in the in the my somewhat disjointed chapter five, where where I move on to the well to the to the Korean wave to the Hallyu. But um, it, there's a lot more in Chapter Five than that because it's it's all it's also dealing with yeah you know, you know, just as I as I sit here and think about it, one of the clues is that um, during the colonial era, there really was a thriving uh, Korean cinema, and this is this is weird. You see, when you stop and think about it. Um, the Japanese were bringing in their movies to say, now, look, if you want to go to the movies, you, you go and we'll put on a movie for you and it will be in Japanese and it will be made in Japan uh, because we're going to turn all you little Korean peasants into, into sort of, uh, little Japanese people, um, you know, little Japanese peasants. So, um, um, you know, this is part of the Japan, Japanization of, of the country. Yet, despite that, um, a thriving um, Korean cinema still managed to, you know, to to blossom. Now and then, and then when when uh, after the war, after the uh, sorry, after the Second World War, um, again there's a small, brief moment of, of a golden age with cinema, and then, but all the way through, there is this rich vein of cinema. Um, Insofar, if it was ever suppressed, it was suppressed. I think mainly that's, that's by fascinating, time. and actually, um, um, it, it, it's it a really helpful way of apprehending the city to see these kind of deeper uh, continuities, if you like, even if it's uh, sort of relatively thin strands of, of form or of, of practice um, that, that, that uh, as you say, can be witnessed today in a what is a very new space. Um, and I think, I think uh, your example of, of uh, to, just to come back a second to the boxes, and um, you have a very interesting section there in Chapter 4 about the, the various interior boxes as well, the bang, uh, the norebang, the, the um, karaoke bars, and the jimjilbang, the public bars, and, and 
quite a lot of other bungs, which uh, you know are the the leisure space, the interior leisure space of of contemporary Seoul. Um, and so I think yeah, those are those are um, some pretty uh, compelling uh, historical sort of uh, tracings that that, that you uh, make there. Um, so yes, perhaps we can move now on to chapter five, uh, the final chapter, which which really um, takes all of this uh, history and, and and observations from the contemporary era and and propels it forward uh, into this sort of futureward vision, the the career looking forward and and looking outward, um, and and the spread of the Hallyu, the the Korean wave uh, into the world. Um, and now I I wonder, I mean, architecture actually is not. Um, something that is readily associated, I think, with the Korean wave phenomenon uh, in the world at large, at least as most people imagine it. It's, it's about K-pop and it's about the TV dramas and so on. Um, so perhaps uh, I wonder if you could um, uh, sort of, from your architectural standpoint, um, say something about how the the, the architecture of the city and, and, and what place architecture has in the Korean wave at large. I think I'd, I'd take this in, I'd approach this in two ways. The first is that to see the city itself as an assemblage of somewhat undistinguished architecture um, at, at, a, at, a, at a, an absolutely enormous scale, at a scale that was all, almost incomprehensible. And therefore, you see it as architecture in an entirely different sort of way. Um, when I, when I sort of walk through those um, high-rise housing estates, one building after another, all, all similar, yet the, the, the ground plane, you know, the, uh, the landscape, trying to get a bit of distinctiveness into it, I, I, I feel I'm walking through what is really a piece of, build, a piece of architecture. It is one building. You know, it, it's one building. You know, but um, broken up into 50 distinct towers because it was designed by the one architect. You know, we can't pretend that each of those towers was designed individually. They were done by the same person, built by the same company, all at the same time. Um, so this is a building, um, a, a building not as we normally understand it. Now, this is a fairly negative way of seeing the um, of seeing. Um, the architecture and uh, and to say, well, is this really the career part of the Korean wave? No, well, in one way, it, it does have some some aspects of it, but I think the 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 other way of, of seeing the role of architecture is um, perhaps a little negatively. Um, one of the great things in the Korean wave uh, have been the. Um, um, the soapies, the television soapies, the great series, and something like Jewel in the Palace, which um, is is still one of the most popular of all soapies ever made. Um, now, Jewel in the Palace tells us about the Chosun Dynasty. It goes, it takes us right back, and um, this sort of turn back. Um, is it part of the Korean wave? Yes, it is. Of course, it is. Um, you know, the soapies are the soapies came before K-pop, and, um, and um, you know K-pop is is important. But the soapies, I think, that's what really got Korea into the rest of Asia. You know, got it into the uh, into the minds of the of the Chinese students in Beijing or in Shanghai or Nanjing, that sort of thing. Uh, it was the soapies. Now, you walk into the city now and. 
uh, you know, when you see those palaces being reconstructed, this is this is something quite um, quite bizarre. I don't know of any other. Well, I suppose I do know. I suppose there was the rebuilding of much of um, much of um, of the um, East um, East European cities after the Second World War, but um, but this is this is at a somewhat larger scale, and um, and. Um, it's trying to it's trying to build um, the world of uh, jewel in the palace, and um, and uh, I mean one of the things that is uh, that really impressed me greatly was to walk through the the um, the great palace the Gyeongbokgung Palace and and to see the, the the children there the students you know the um, um, pupils from schools. And you look and you suddenly realise that, yes, probably two-thirds of them are from Korean schools and the other third are from Japanese schools. So, you know, the, um, I've, I've always been, been surprised at the um, great love of, that the Japanese had for Koreana, for Korean ideas and Korean things, even in the colonial period. Um, you know, the anthropologists were out in force. Um, the, the, the architectural historians were out in force during the colonial period. The reason why we are able to rebuild the palaces, and what, you know, they are rebuilding the palaces um, as exact um, replicas, exact, absolute to every detail. And you say, well, how are they able to do it? Well, fortunately, they still have drawings for all those buildings. Where are where are they? They're in Tokyo, because the Japanese recorded everything. Um, so you know this has been rebuilt. Now I'm not quite answering the question about uh, about the the architecture, but um, the, the the architecture itself is not really having the impact globally that um, say K-pop. Um, and um, um, well, even even some of the landscapers, you know, the landscape designers, um, Korean landscape designers are having a global impact. Korean cinema is having a global impact, but you know, we can't say quite the same thing about about the architecture. Um, and and why why do you think that that is in particular? I think I think that, that different cultures um, have different um, manifestations. This is, uh, I think that that Korea is um, is um, a culture of the image. Um, I think that Korean genius, the Korean um, genius, is in the image. Um, it's not in the forms of space. Um, when you well. I would have to ask myself, where have I seen a, a truly great um, space in um, in um, in um, Seoul? I'm not sure that I have. Um, but, um, certainly, the courtyards of the palaces; these are, are fantastic. But it is not really um, when you when you exist in boxes all the time. And you don't live in, you don't exist in cathedrals and palaces and things of that sort. Um, you, you know, you. Um, I, I, I suppose I'm surprised by the fact that um, 
Korea inspires other architects, but the Korean architects are not quite um, you know, uh, are, are not quite projecting themselves um, outwards uh, in quite the same way that Korean um, musical composers are. Korean K-pop, um, um, cl- Korean classical music. Um, uh, well, you know, but the most amazing, of course, is uh, is uh, video art. Um, you know, um, Korean video art dominates the world. Um, but but um, you know, different different cultures have their have their genius in slightly different uh, fields and forms. And I guess that's I guess that's part of uh, the of the mystery of of, um, of Korea. Yes. Well, perhaps uh, perhaps we'll uh, end it there on the on the that uh, that mystery of uh, of architecture and, and and the Korean wave. And uh, I think we've also uh, come full circle in, uh, in in quite a an appealing way back to the back to the palaces and back to the older history uh, where the book begins. Um, so thanks very much, Ross. Um, we've taken up a fair bit of your time. Um, and uh, before we go, uh, well, before we go, I should say um, there's a, an awful lot more in this book uh, at which we have only hinted. Uh, and so uh, you should absolutely go out and buy it, uh, listeners. Um, but uh, I should also ask the New Books Network's traditional final question uh, to you, Ross, which is what is it that you're working on at the moment and what projects do you have uh, coming up uh, through the pipeline? Most of what I'm working on is, again, Southeast Asia. Um, I, I'm, um, I, I study... Uh, um, Thailand a great deal, and of course Thailand is a is a place that in some ways resembles um, um, Seoul um, of about um, of the, of the Park era. It now has a military dictatorship. There is suppression. Um, there is there is a cultural um, resistance. There is there are uprisings. It's the red shirts and the yellow shirts, and. Um, you know, it, it it really does in many ways resemble um, um, Seoul in, in the nineteen in the nineteen sixties, but without without the genius. <laughs> I look I look hard for it to find an equivalent to Park Chung Hee in uh, in contemporary um, 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 Bangkok or contemporary Thailand or anywhere in Southeast Asia. But, so I'm fascinated by that, and that's and that's what I'm working on. I'm working on um, um, the particular um, uh, travails of modern Thailand, um, and a little bit on. I do I do a bit of work on on Indonesia, but. No big projects at the moment on on, on East Asia. Oh, well, that's that's very interesting, and I'm sure uh, listeners would be uh, curious to compare uh, your insights into uh, Seoul and and, and uh, the contents of, of the book we've been discussing today with uh, your work on those other locations. Um, so that all sounds brilliant. Um, well, Ross, uh, thank you very much uh, for appearing on the show today. Uh, it was great talking to you in the book was highly enjoyable and and very thought-provoking so thank you very much thank you Ed